Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. Good morning. I'm going to say, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Period. So anyway, you guys doing good? Good. Good. We're going to roll. I mean, I'm, I'm still singing. I, I'm still singing. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. Like, what a great song. Is that right? If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Love that. Love that. Love what, what Jesus is doing. And um, if you have not, uh, I know that you received these on the way in and Brandy talked about them, but we have great classes coming up here in a couple weeks. We have a thing that we do. It's called Open Table, and that's we're going to be starting the book of Revelation next week. I know that, um, that people, when it comes to the book of Revelation, have questions, right? And they're like, they want to talk about that. So you just show up. Open table is literally on Tuesday night. You just show up. There's a group of people. We have food. And you just say, hey, man, let's talk about it. We have a marriage class. It's called Vertical Marriage. It's going to be fantastic. You want to show up an hour before and have dinner together? We'll all eat dinner together and do that. I'll be in Vertical Marriage this, this semester. And then we have Foundations. Foundations is literally just the foundations of Christianity, and then you get to talk about what you like. Yes, I, I like that, or, or that drives me crazy, or I'm not sure what that even means. And so all kinds of classes or stuff for uh, little kids, Spark, Switch, Student Life, and I know Brandy already did the announcements, and I get in trouble whenever I say I'm going to do some more announcements, but uh, I'll deal with that tomorrow on staff meeting. i got broad shoulders. We'll be great. Okay, so we started a new talk last week I'm calling New Thing. And, and we're going to take it all the way through. Even though we're going to transition uh, to the book of Revelations next week, um, literally, uh, this, I believe that God has us in a new season. Anybody else think that? You don't have to agree with me. I just, like, the, the, this season of life hasn't looked like any season I've ever had in my life. Like, like for years upon years upon years, you'd say, hey, what's going to be different about this year than last year? And there was all kinds of like, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to have goals, or I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to ride bikes, or whatever it was, right? And literally, there has been a transition that has happened across the world. That is literally, you're looking at this next season, and you're saying, well, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen this year. Come on. Right? I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen this year. And so here's, what, here's what's new, is I'm going to trust Jesus in a way that I've maybe never, ever trusted Jesus before. That's all I can tell you. All I can tell you is that I would never have seen the past two years coming. And so, so then you come into a new year, and you say, okay, well, what's going on? And I believe that we're in a new thing. That's why we started this season, this talk. There's this passage in Isaiah 43. We're going to look at it in just a second. And, and the passage says, God's saying, I'm doing a new thing. And then he literally asks this question on the backside of saying, I'm doing a new thing. He asks this question. He says, do you see it? And, and, and now here, here's the thing. I think that the whole world sees it. Oh, you guys are going to be quiet on me. I would not care if you were Pentecostal on me. It would be, it'd be fine. I think the whole world sees it. He says, he says, I'm doing a new thing. Do you see it? He says, he says, I'm 
making pathways through the wilderness, and I'm making water in the desert. And so we talked about this last week. That really as believers, when, when the Lord says, I'm doing a new thing, and the Lord says, do you see it? Really, there's this other thing that he's saying. He's literally saying that believers are supposed to be seers. Believers are supposed to see what God's doing. And then we're supposed to join him in it. And when you, when you see what God's doing, it actually takes this level of anxiety off. Where you go, oh, no, God, God's in this. God's got it. It's good. And so all week long, I've been asking myself a new question. It's not whether I see the new thing. Do I like what I'm seeing? Whole different question. Do I like what I'm seeing? Like, it's amazing to me that you can see what God's doing, and that does not mean that you like what you're seeing. Oh, that got quiet? And it feels awkward in church right now. Just so you know, I can make relationships awkward in just a couple seconds. It's not hard for me. I can do that pretty easy. And so, but there's this thing, do I like what I'm seeing? Do I like it? Because there's a piece in me that just because something's new doesn't mean I like it. I like old things. Let me ask you a question. Do you prefer old things or new things? How many of you guys prefer old things? Come on, raise your hand. All right, okay, some of you. How many of you are like new things, new toys, new bells, new whistles, new shoes, new clothes? Some of you don't even know what you like. Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know. But there's this thing that like, do you like new things or old things? Do you prefer vinyl records or digital sound? Ah, see? Vinyl's making its way back. Vinyl's a big deal these days. Because you, like, you can have 5,000 songs on your phone or on your iPad or on your iPod or, or whatever digital device you own. But man, there's something that's really fun about going over and getting a cardboard piece of paper and pulling out this vinyl thing and putting it on and it going... And then it starts playing scratchy music and you're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay? Do you prefer old comfy shirts or brand new shirts? Like old, old. Everybody goes old. How about a brand new pair of sneakers or an old pair of sneakers? Ah, some of you are like new. Everybody's like new, new, new. <laughs> See, here's the, here's the truth, if I'm, if I'm honest. I have this huge tension when it comes to this conversation. Because I do like new things. My daughter for Christmas, she got me this thing. It froths my milk and creamer for my coffee in like 10 seconds. And it's perfect every time. I really, really like this. Like, love it. I love, I love this. I, w- I decided not to plug it in because if I said, hey, Alexa, play me my favorite worship music, she would start playing it right now. Right? I love that I can, like, these new things that, that we have. I love new things. I, whoop. 
I love my old knife. <laughs> my dad gave me that. It's an old knife. Just an old knife that he had in his drawer. He's like, you want this? I'm like, yes. I love my old hat. This, this pile right here, this pile right here that just kind of looks like it means nothing, my wife keeps trying to get me to throw it away. She asked me to throw this shirt away last week. I've had it over 20 years. It has holes in it. It's my favorite shirt. I wear it when we go out, when we go to like Lowe's, and when, when I go out, out just around town. And she's like, are you really wearing that old shirt? I'm like, yes, I am. You know, one of the fav- my favorite things about this old stuff is when I wear it, people have no idea who I am. I'm at a I'm at a party the, uh, last year. This this guy invites me to. He's from the church. He says, "Hey, I'm having a barbecue. You should come." And so I come, and I'm basically wearing this. I got my hat on. I'm just hanging out. I'm sitting next to this guy that I know really, really well. He looks over at me and goes, "Hey, so uh, how do we know each other?" And I look at him. I think he's being silly. And I said, "Oh, we go to church together." He goes, "Really? We, we go to church together?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, huh, I don't remember seeing you there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. He says, I don't remember seeing you there. I said, oh, I said, yeah, I, me and my wife, we go, we, we, we go. We've been going for a while. He goes, how long? I said, oh, well, well like, since, is it, since is it Paul's house? He goes, oh, you guys have been around a long time. He goes, he goes what service do you go to? <laughs> I now think he's playing a joke on me. I said, oh. We, we go to both. And he goes, you go to both services? Like, like you go to both services, like sometimes you go to the 9, sometimes you go to the 11? I said, no, we pretty much go to both all the time. If we're in town, both all the time. And he goes, huh, what's your name? I went, oh, no, this is going to be bad. I said, my name's Paul. He goes, Paul, huh, I don't, I don't think I know you. He goes, what's your last name? I said, Watson? And he goes, oh, no, you're the pastor. <laughs> but I love it when I wear old stuff. Like, nobody knows. I can run around town and people don't know me. I love my old stuff. But I love my, I've got 10 Bibles in my, in, you go to my office right now, I've got 10 brand new Bibles. I love my old Bible. I've had this Bible for years. It's highlighted. It's written in. I love, I love reading books about old dead people. I'm reading this book right now. I love, I love re- reading old stuff. I love, I've taken, recently taken up a new hobby. I, I now make sourdough. Who would have known, right? But I don't make sourdough because it's bread. I make it because it's tied to the old world. People can literally have sourdough recipes. This, their sourdough starter can be like 400 years old. The very last thing my mom made before she passed away was she made some sourdough leaven starter. It's now the starter that I use to make bread. I love that. I love this old, I love this old cowboy coffee maker. This is, my, this is what I make coffee with in the morning. I throw some coffee in there and throw some water over the top of it and just set it on my cup and boom. I love that. I, coffee pots, they're okay. I love this old, my grandpa made that. 40 years old. I, don't have, I have no idea how I got it. But I love that I have it. And so there's this tension that goes off in my life, that goes off in my life, because there's old things that I like, and there's new things that I like. I like new trucks. I like new shows. I like new clothes. 
I like new technology. But I love my 110-year-old house that leans clear to one side. I love it. I often think, I should fix it, and I think that's going to be a lot of money. I'll just keep that in my pocket. I love my new truck, but if I had the option, if, if I could make, make it happen magically, you know what I'd like to have is my everyday ride? My 1971 convertible Volkswagen that I had when I was 16. I would love that. How many of you love your old car? Wouldn't that just be fun? That would just be fun. And so there's this tension in me as we have this talk. When I read Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, it causes me excitement. It causes me tension. You know, when Isaiah is quoting the Lord, and he comes to this moment where he's, he's literally, he said, he said, hey, remember, remember the things of the past. Remember when I saved Israel from, from um, the persecution of, of the Egyptians. Remember that. Remember when I saved them and I split the Red Sea and you walked across on dry water. He said, remember that. And then all of a sudden he says, now forget it. Verse 18. He says, now forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do a new thing. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make pathways through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. So this comes this question that I want to hit on today. If God is make, doing a new thing, if God is making a, doing a new thing, the first thing is I'm supposed to see it. The second thing is I'm supposed to make room for it. So how do I make room for the new things that God is doing? How do I release the old and hang on to the new? How do I let go in order to take hold? There's this passage, it's found in Leviticus 26.10. Who would have thought that you would have gotten a passage from Leviticus? It's not like I read that all day. I mean, truthfully, right? You read like Leviticus, you're like, whoa, this is going to be dry. But in Leviticus 26.10, literally, there's this passage, and it says, hey, get rid of the old, because I'm about to give the new. It says, you will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make new, uh, room for the new. There's this promise that God has given the children of Israel in Leviticus 26.10 that says, hey, listen, you've been hanging on to the old crops. You've been living off the old crops. He said, thank God that you had enough to live on. But get rid of them because I'm about to give you new crops and I'm about to fill your barns full of new. You see, here's, here's the problem for most people. Seeing what God is doing is not the problem. Because seeing what God is doing is not the same as embracing what God is doing. Those are not the same. Seeing what God is doing is not the same as embracing what God is doing. I want you to write down three things this morning. Here's the first one. In order to make room for the new, you have to embrace what you do not understand. This is, this is a huge issue in people's lives. 
Most people do not want to embrace something until they understand something. Like, that's just true. Like, when, when, we, when we see new technology, it, it's not that we don't get excited about it. It's that we want to, before we embrace it, we want to understand it. And this is the problem. Most of us would agree that we believe that God is doing something new. We feel the upheaval of change in a way that has not happened in our lifetime. We experience racial tension. We're seeing racial tension. We're seeing and experiencing religious tension. We're we're experiencing and we're seeing financial tension right now. We are experiencing a a, a real tension between what is patriotism. We're experiencing a real tension between what is sexual identity. We're experiencing a real tension in our country today and in our world today around education and what it is and what it used to be. It seems that there is tension in every aspect of our society. Anybody disagree? You see, seeing what God is doing is not the same as embracing what God is doing. Israel could clearly see that God was trying to deliver them from slavery and take them out and give them a promised land that they totally knew about. They'd known about it for the 400 years that they were in slavery. And yet they constantly complained, why has God brought us out to the desert? Why wouldn't he take us back to the old ways? They had this moment where they, for 400 years, they were in slavery. And it's not like they forgot the promises of God. They recited them and recited them and recited them. They passed them on to generation after generation after generation. And when God shows up, they clearly see what he's doing and yet they're not sure if they want to be a part of it. Jesus, when Jesus shows up, the exact same thing happens. The disciples could clearly see that Jesus was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Barnabas goes and gets his brother and says, come and see the Messiah that we've all longed for. Person after person after person who encounters Jesus says, it's obvious that you're the Messiah. But then Jesus, for the entire time before his um, death, says, do you not understand? How long will you doubt? How long will you walk in unbelief? And so all through scriptures, seeing what God is doing is not the same as embracing what God is doing. Just like the first century church had a hard time embracing what God was doing through Jesus, I believe the 21st century church will have a hard time embracing what God is doing through Jesus. I believe both are true. Because it's hard to grab hold of the future when we're still so tied to the past. When God does something new, you have to embrace it before you understand it. 
Very rarely do we ever see in Scripture God giving you the entire plan and saying, hey, here's the plan, here's how it's going to go. You need to understand that when Jesus came, everything changed. When Jesus shows up, the, the reason people have a hard time embracing Jesus is because for 2,000 years, they were asked to keep 613 commandments. And they eventually became pretty good at it. And then Jesus shows up and says, you know you don't have to do that. You know you don't have to do that. Do you know how hard it is to break old habits? Come on. You know how hard it is to break old habits. Even though you don't have to do that, we keep doing that. Even though you don't have to do that, it's so easy to do that. Jesus looks up and for 2,000 years, they weren't allowed to work on Sunday. And Jesus shows up and says, you know, it's okay if you untie your donkey on Sunday. Get him a little water. It's fine. For 2,000 years, um, the Jews were told to hate Samaritans. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, you know it's okay to love one another? It's actually okay. For 2,000 years, the children of Israel believed that they were the, the, the God's chosen people and there would never be another. And Jesus shows up and says, I've come to give this to the Gentiles as well. They lost their minds. That's what happened. The new came, and they saw the new, and they just didn't understand it. They couldn't embrace it. They knew God was doing something, but they were having an incredibly difficult time of hanging on to it and embracing it and saying, thank you for the freedom that comes in Jesus. They said, you mean we got to worship with Gentiles? No way. Not doing it. As a matter of fact, if you keep saying that, we're going to kill you. Do not set us free. There's a passage in Acts chapter 10. And just for reference, there's this moment for Peter in his life in Jesus. Where even after he comes to Jesus, Peter is still a really good Jew. He's a follower of Jesus. He is a convert. And he is still practicing his Judaism as a Christian. And finally, Peter gets this vision in Acts chapter 10. And he sees all of these animals. And he sees all kinds of animals, all kinds of animals. Pigs, and he sees cows, and he, he just sees all kinds of animals. He sees sheep. And all of a sudden, he hears this voice that says, Peter, arise and eat. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. I will never defile my body with those things. And Jesus comes along and says, why do you call things that I have called clean, why do you call them unclean? And there's this moment for Peter where he has to embrace the new even though he doesn't understand it. And so he gets up and he does. He kills and he eats. And he begins to embrace what God has done in this freedom. But you know what? Here's the weird part is that when God sets you free, if you have an old habit, it doesn't feel like freedom. It actually feels contrary to the very thing that God is doing or that God has told you to do. And so there comes this tension that happens in our life. 
it, it happens when, when people have to walk into a new thing. And so here's the second thing I want you to write down. Tension is where God forms trust. It's the weirdest thing. We want God to form trust by giving us a plan. But tension is where God forms trust. I want you to read this passage. I want to read this passage out to you out of John 14. Jesus is addressing this tension the disciples are feeling. Now, you got to kind of catch this. Jesus has been with them. They've been disciples for three and a half years. Jesus has told them the whole time that he's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to send back to heaven. And then it happens. It happens. They experience it. Now, Jesus has been risen from the dead. He's no longer dead. In John 14, when you read this, he's no longer dead. And he's telling them that he's going to ascend back into heaven. And they still don't get it. Like he, everything he has said has happened. And they still don't get it. And so in John 14, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, right? Yes. He says, then trust in me. And then he goes on to tell them, for in my house are many mansions, and if it was not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when it is ready, I will come and receive you. And so there's this moment that even in the midst of experiencing God and him doing all the things he said he would do, there's still this moment where we tend to lean into and go, I don't know if I trust you. True? Like right now, Maybe some of you are in a different spot, but I would say most of you right now are in a spot where God has shown up in your life time and 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 time again. And then there is still something in a person's heart that goes, yeah, you're going to need to show me what you're doing before I trust you. God does not form you in that situation. He forms you when you trust him. He forms you when you say, God, I do not understand what you're doing, but I do trust you in what you're doing. God, this is situation's making me super uncomfortable. I'm really nervous. There's a whole bunch of Egyptians coming up. They're going to kill us. You've got to provide a way out. And he goes, I'm going to provide a way out. Why don't you use that staff and hit that water and I'll get you across the, the river. Okay, God. God forms you when you trust him. God will never introduce a new thing that requires you to have less trust. Not how it works. Every time God says, trust me, it always requires more trust than you had last time. We're not called to trust the world's systems, but we are called to trust God and let him form us. The tension we live in is where God forms our faith. I want you to grab hold of this. The irony is, as human beings, we love tension. We do. The irony is, as human beings, we love tension. Okay, so I'm about to bring something up. And 90% of you are not going to like this example. 10% are, but he's sick today, and he's not here. The Bronco game last night 
had so much tension. There was three minutes left. They drove to the 12, 13-yard line. They're getting ready to score. If they score, they win. And then they fumble. Oh, tension. But in truth, we love the tension that comes in sports. Anybody? I love a good close game, especially if we win. Even more so if we won. I love the good tension in a book. Like if I'm reading a book and there's a lot of drama and a lot of tension, I love it. I can't put it down. I keep going back to it. I'm like, oh, no, no, I just need to read. I need to read. I need to read another hour. I love the good tension in a movie. I love it. The only place I don't love it is in my life. I hate tension in my life. I hate when things haven't been worked out. I hate when the drama's still there. I hate when... God doesn't take away my hardships. I hate it when I have to deal with painful people and I keep thinking that that is going to get worked out and at some point you think it's going to get worked out and it doesn't get worked out and so you just live in tension. I constantly pray that God would take away pain and make life easier. And yet, that's where God forms you. John 17, 15 says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. It's the last prayer that Jesus prays. He's praying for his disciples. It's the very last prayer that he prays for his disciples. And he says, hey, God, I'm not asking you that you take them out of the world. I'm asking that you would be with them in it. That's the tension. We pray for God to take away our pain. And God says, no, no, but I'll be with you in it. We pray that God would take away our problems. And God says, no, 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 this is how I form you. But I'll be with you in them. In Jesus' prayers, Lord, do not take them out of this world. Do you know why he's praying, don't take them out of this world? Because you are the salt and the light. You are a, a city on a hill. You are the hope of the world. God's not going to take you out of the world. He's going to put you in it. You're the hope of the world. He's going to be with you in it. The tension is where God moves. We are in a world full of tension. The only way your faith is going to serve you in the future is if you deepen your faith in the present. The new thing God is doing will make your relationship with him better. Now catch this. I'm going to say that again because there's a little more to it. The new thing that God is doing will make your relationship with him better. It will not make your life easier. It will not make your life easier. As a matter of fact, it'll make you question your faith. It'll make you um, cause you to reframe what you thought love was. It will cause you to accept people that really you have not been able to accept for a bit. You see, here's the last thing I want you to write down and I'm obviously way over time. Here's the good news. And when I say this, you're going to go, that's the good news? God is fulfilling his purposes, but he may not be filling your preferences. God is fulfilling his purposes. God is doing a new thing. I don't think it is going to get easier to be a Christian. 
I do not think the road ahead, when I look ahead and I look and and go, okay, this is what's coming, this is the new thing, I do not think that being a Christian gets easier. But I do think that Christians get stronger. I do think that faith becomes more real. I do think that you will no longer wonder if somebody is or is not a believer. I do not think Christians are going to be portrayed in better light in the media in the future. But I do think that Christians will be better prepared in the future. I think they'll know how to pray better. I think they'll know how to read their Bibles better. I think that followers will actually resemble Jesus. Colossians 2.7, Paul writes to the church of um, Colossia, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I hope you caught that. Your faith doesn't grow strong unless you build it upon him. It just doesn't. You see, the problem is this. We as people tend to resist what we do not understand. The reason people resisted Jesus was they didn't understand who he was or what he was doing. They imagined the Messiah would set them free. They imagined the Messiah would make their life easier. They imagined the Messiah would make the kingdom of Israel great. They imagined the Messiah would accept the way that they lived. God is always fulfilling his purposes. He is rarely fulfilling our preferences. I was just pausing to let you say amen, but since nobody did, I'll keep going. In Matthew 5, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, teach us to pray. I think this is one of the most fascinating passages. He says this, when we say, Matthew 5, he says, teach us to pray. Actually, the disciples go to Jesus and John's disciples walk by and the disciples say, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray like John's disciples know how to pray. They're following Jesus and John's disciples know how to pray better than Jesus' disciples. And he goes, oh, when you pray, start your prayers like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes on to teach them to pray more. But I want you to understand this. The best way to embrace what God is doing, the best way to endure the tensions of this world, the best way to make room for the new thing is to stop comparing it to the old thing. Stop comparing it to the old thing. If I'm honest, I would love to have my 1971 convertible Volkswagen back. If I'm honest, I would love for it to be 1985 again. I was kind of cool in 1985. I at least had a lot of fun in 1985. 1985 was a great, great time of life. 
I loved 501 jeans and my kicks and my vinyl records that eventually gave way to cassette tapes. I loved it when math was just math. That was funny. (laughs) But the best way to make room for the new thing is to stop comparing it to the old thing. The best way to make new for the new thing is to recognize what God is doing and embrace it even if you don't understand it. You see, we're called to lay down our lives and pick up our crosses. The old system, I do not believe, will work in the new world. Here's what I mean by that. In the vineyard, if you've been in the vineyard, I've been in the vineyard since 1987. And the vineyard had this time where they were known for power healings and power uh, words and power messages and the Holy Spirit coming and literally like rooms full of people just slain in the Spirit. And there's this thing in the vineyard that we keep looking back for that. Well, I think power is awesome. I think loving your neighbor is more powerful. I think like seeing people slain in the Spirit, amazing. I want people to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want a church that knows how to love its community. And if I got to choose between the two, that's what I'm choosing. People who love powerfully will change a world. You see, how do you make room for the new? Put God's kingdom first. Clothe yourself in righteousness. Be a peacemaker. Stay out of the division. Focus on reconciliation. Because his kingdom is not based upon politics. His kingdom is not based upon gender. And his kingdom is not coming through social media. Well, I finally got one. (laughs) Romans says this, Romans 7, 6, but now we have been released from the law for we died to it and we're no longer captive to its power. And so now we can serve God, not the old way of being, obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of the Spirit. I believe one of the traits of the kingdom has always been exhibited by making room for others. I always have this tension in my heart when it comes to worship. It's not because I don't like it. I actually love it. I just find it's easier to sing songs than live them. Have you ever felt that? Like you sing these songs and they're beautiful songs and they have beautiful lyrics and man, they're so, so easy to sing and they're so, so hard to live. There will never, ever, 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 ever not be tension in your life with Jesus. Ever. You see, I believe that God's doing a new thing. And I believe to walk into what God is doing is actually going to be harder than to stay where I was at. But I'm just telling you personally, and this is not like super pastor conversation, right? This is just 
I have found over my lifetime in Jesus, it's always better to be where he's at. Wherever he's at, that's where you want to be. When you get stuck in the old, God will let you stay there. He really will. He'll be like, yeah, you want to stay there? You can stay there. I'm, I'm, going, over, I'm going that way. You, you can stay if you want to. And so there's always this tension of, am I going to follow Jesus or am I just going to stay where I'm at? When I got up at the beginning of the service and I just said, I'm not going to say, hey, if you gave your life to Jesus, maybe you should think about getting baptized. I'm not. I think I've probably said it that way a thousand times. You can stay where you're at. But if you gave your life to Jesus, get baptized. Get baptized. For the next 12 weeks, I always have these breaks. Kind of this time of year, I always kind of do these special things. We throw a Super Bowl party, and then I bring in football players, and we do all kinds of things, and then we have a big party in the parking lot. For the next 12 weeks, I'm not going to stop teaching the book of Revelation. I'm not bringing in Super Bowl players. I'm not bringing in football players. We're going to teach the book of Revelation. For the next 12 weeks, we're going to teach tough stuff. And guess what? It's a perfect time to bring your friends. It's a perfect time to bring your friends. Like we kind of do these special moments like, hey, we're going to throw a Super Bowl party. You should bring your friends. And we go, oh, now we're going to talk about tough stuff. Hey, tell your friends to come next week. No, no, no. For the next 12 weeks. It's on. Then we're going to come out of that and we're going to go into the book of James. And the book of James is going to be tough. You're going to be like, man, why does Pastor Paul hate us so much? No, no. I want your faith to grow. I want you to strengthen your faith in Jesus. Because only strong faith is going to get you through the next cycle. You want to hang out where you're at? I'll give you some names of some churches. That's not where we're hanging out. You want to hang out with your at? I'll give you some people you can watch online. There's really good guys online. That's not where we're going. I know I'm supposed to have some really cool way of closing the service, but I guess I would just say, would you just put your hands out and say, God, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, even though I do not understand what you're doing, I do embrace where you're going. And Lord, I do not want to stay where I'm at. I do not want to stay where I'm at. We do pray your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.